James 4 is where we're at today. <clears throat> we are uh, working our way through the book of James. And man, I, I'm telling you, you're going to see, if you're kind of paying attention week to week, you're going to see a theme in James chapter 3 and 4, really from start to beginning. Um, you're going to see a theme of, of relationships and reconciliation and uh, quarrels and conflicts is really the, 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 the topic for today. Um, but you're going to see these connected. So, so two weeks ago, what, two, yeah, two weeks ago, we talked about the words that you speak. And, you know, James ended kind of with that, that punch that, hey, the same mouth that praises, you know, should not be the mouth that curses a brother. The same mouth that praises God should not curse a brother. And then last week, we looked at this, this idea of two kinds of wisdom. You know, you got this earthly wisdom that is rooted in bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. And then you got this heavenly wisdom that, according to James, if you remember kind of the last um, the last verse of last week, he said that this wisdom from above is, is peaceable. Uh, it's basically peacemakers who are peaceable who make peace. Uh, you know, they, they, they're reconcilers. And, and they bring about a harvest of righteousness. Okay? Today we're going to just talk about the topic of, of uh, quarrels and conflict and broken relationships. Next week, we're going to look at humility and its role in, in kind of that, that, whole, that whole thing. It's going to end with uh, don't speak evil against one another, brothers. So, so lots of stuff in, in chapters 3 and 4 just about relationships, and so that's going to be true today. What I want to do is I want to start us out by reading the first six verses of chapter 4. So would you stand if you want to, if you can, uh, and we're going to read the scriptures here in just a moment. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that is, he has made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Father in heaven, we ask, God, that you would put in us the, the spirit of wisdom that comes from above, the spirit of wisdom that makes peace, that brings a harvest of righteousness, a harvest of right relationships between us and you and between, between us, uh, between brothers. Father, I, I pray that you would put your, put your hand of conviction upon us, Lord, if we need to make things right with a brother today if we need to reconcile. God, if we've got anger in our heart that comes from wanting the wrong things or from not coming to you with what we want, God, I pray that you would, you would correct that in us. God, we want to be obedient to you. We don't want to leave here not right with you. So please work in us today. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So James is going to talk about this issue of what causes quarrels and what causes conflicts among you. 
And, and I want you to see it's a big deal to him, okay? Uh, you, can, you can even hear it in, in chapter 4, chapter 3. I mean, he, he's upset that there is quarrels and fighting and conflict within the church, within the marriages in the church, within the families in the church, within the, the neighborhoods, the small groups of the church. It's a big deal to him. And, it, and it's a big deal in the New Testament. Um, I, I get to, to meet with guys most every morning and read the scriptures together, and it was interesting. Uh, one morning I was in Philippians 4 with a group of guys. And, and the letters of the epistles are, are written to geographic areas or to cities or to, to churches, absolutely, but even, even bigger than that. So in other words, when Paul writes Philippians, he expects that a whole bunch of people are going to read it, right? And, and when he writes Philippians 4, he calls out two ladies that are at odds with one another, you know? He says, he says you know, I, I command you, you know, Euodia uh, and Syntyche, I think are their names, you know, that you agree in the Lord. And then, and then, he, then he calls their small group leader or the pastor, we're not sure, he calls him my true companion. And, and he says, help these ladies, <laughs> you know? And, and, and that's a big deal. It would be a big deal for me to stand up here and be like, hey, you and you, you guys need to get along, you know? Uh, like, you need to agree. Uh, you need to get things right. And, and by the way, you know, small group leader, you help them. If they can't get this deal done, you get it done. Like, like you need to agree. One of the other mornings this week, I was, I was meeting with some guys. We were reading 1 Corinthians 6. In 1 Corinthians 6, Paul just goes ballistic that there are members in the church that are going to court against each other, you know? And they're, they've got a disagreement. They've got some kind of problem, and so they're taking that to court. And, and man, he just, he just blown away, and, and he makes, makes two statements. He says, why not rather be defrauded? Why not rather be wronged? In other words, hey, it'd be better to lose than it would to be a poor witness of conflict among believers to the world. So this is a big deal. It's a big deal at Lincoln Avenue. Um, you know how hard we push on Christ-centered relationships and on uh, we want you to be in a small group. We want you to be in discipleship groups. We want you to be in community. We, we don't want you just to come and, and hear a, a, a sermon or, or sing some songs. We actually want you to, to, to take the initiative. To, to be in community, uh, to, to, to join a small group, to join a DT group, to gather some people, and to live in harmony with one another. And so, so it's a big deal. In fact, when Jesus says, uh, when, he, when he says you do this, he says you'll, you'll automatically be on mission in the world when you're doing this. He said in John 13, 34 and 35, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Man, did you hear that? He said, if you love each other like I love you, everybody around you going to know you're a disciple. You're, you're, you're a believer in Jesus. So, so this is a big deal. And so, so James starts out asking the question, what causes quarrels and what causes conflicts among you? Right? That's, that's there in, in chapter 4, verse 1. And I think if we ask that of most people, and I've got pretty good evidence on this because I ask this question of most every premarital couple that I counsel. So there's about 100 weddings or so. And then I also ask it of a lot of marriage counseling. I'm like, hey, tell me what's at the root of your, of your quarrel? What's at the root of your conflict? And, and you know what most people do? They answer with a, what they did right? It's like, well, you know, they said this, or they had that attitude, or they, they looked at me in that way, or they did that rude thing, or, you know, they were supposed to do that, and then they didn't, you know, or they were supposed to show up. And then, in other words, a lot of times we think what causes quarrels and conflicts is 
dadgum irritating people around us, right? Like, like if you all stopped being that way, well, then I wouldn't be mad, right? Like, that, that's kind of the way that most people think of quarrels and conflicts. James does not do that, you know? J- James, James does not look and say, well, it's, it's them. He actually turns the deal around, and he says, you know what causes quarrels and conflicts among you? It's your own desires. It's your own passions. It, it, it's your own coveting. It's your own wants. Let me read it. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire, that's another word for passions. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet, that's another word for wanting something, right? And you cannot obtain it, so you fight and you quarrel. So, so James turns it around and he says, you, you know, the, the reason for quarrels and conflicts are because of our desires, because of our, our passions, because of our wants. We want something and we don't get it. And now we got a war going on inside of us. Did you know anytime there's a war on the outside, it started with a war on the inside, didn't it? Yeah, huh? It always starts here, right? Like, like I want something. I, I, I want it to be this way. I, I want something from you, and, I, and you're not giving it to me. And so, bam, I'm at war on the inside. Like, I'm tore up on the inside, and pretty soon, because I'm tore up on the inside, it's going gonna, it's gonna to overflow on the outside. First Peter chapter uh, 2, verse 11 describes this whole war on the inside. He says, Beloved, if I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. All right, so what's the answer? All right, if James is right, and I kind of believe the Bible, I hope you do, so I believe he is right. If, if, if what causes quarrels and conflicts is, is these desires, these passions, these wants that we have that don't get met, well, then what's the answer? What's the answer to not having quarrels and conflicts? Well, I guess you could say don't want things, right? Like, like just want things less and don't want things. Oh, wait, wait, wait. That's Buddhism. That's, that's, that's the wrong religion, right? Yeah, Buddhism, man, have you ever read anything about Buddhism? It's terribly depressing, okay? Tenant number one, all life is suffering. Well, that's a happy moment, right? Tenant number two, you should learn to just stop wanting things, you know? Hey, praise God, that is not Christianity, okay? Because, you know, Christianity, you know what it says? It says there's nothing wrong with your desires. Oh, hold on. That, no, it didn't say that. It says there's nothing wrong with you having desires. Let me see that. That's a better way to say it. There's nothing wrong with you having desires. In fact, the Bible says it's a blessed thing to desire the right thing, and you should desire the right things all the more. You remember in the Beatitudes, Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Like, you ought to want righteousness. You ought to hunger for righteousness. And in fact, the Bible says the problem with most of us is that we don't, our desires aren't big enough. Our, our, we, we don't desire the right things at a high enough level, okay? Let, let, me, let me take you a little trip through the, the Bible, give you some of my favorites, okay? Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Isn't that beautiful? You know, man, this is not Buddhism where it says, well, okay, just don't want anything. No, no, this is Christianity where God says, hey, I am the answer to your desires. Delight yourself in me. Come to me. Come to me, and I'll give you the desires of your heart. I'll meet your desires. How about, um, how about Psalm 36, 8? I've been trying to put this in every sermon that I can because I like it a lot, okay? Psalm 36, 8. They feast on the abundance of your house. You give them drink from the river of your delights. All right? 
Man, God's not saying, hey, I'm not going to meet your needs. He's saying, I've got a river of delights. In the first service I said, it's like the Mississippi River, you know, of God's delights. And you can drink from it. And I thought, oh, wait, I've been in the Mississippi. You don't want to drink from that, right? That's no good. But, but God says there in 36, like, it's just Psalm 36, like the picture there is God says, I have this river of delights that I want you to come to. Like, I want you to come and it'll meet your needs. And I want you to come and drink from it. And I want you to come and be satisfied. Psalm 107, 9 says, he satisfies the longing heart. How about Jesus? You remember what Jesus said? He said things like this all the time. In John 6, 35, he said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. What's Jesus saying there? He said, I'm bread. I want you to come to me and I'll satisfy you. I, I will satisfy you so much that you'll never hunger again. You'll never thirst again. I don't think he means you'll never get hungry or thirsty again. Because remember he just said the Beatitudes, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. I think he said, I'll meet your need. Like you, you, can, you can want more righteousness. You can want more joy. You can want more happiness. And you just come to me and I am the one who meets your needs. All right? So, so the answer is, is not... The answer is not for us not to desire. I, I actually think the answer is for us to desire all the more, but to have the right desires, right? And, you know, the answer is, is Jesus is not saying, hey, don't drink from the waters. He's saying, come to me. You come to me, you'll never thirst again. You can be a heavy drinker, okay? Here's a quote for you from the sermon this morning. God wants you to be heavy drinkers, okay? Not, not alcohol, but, uh, but he wants you to come and drink of him, right? He wants you to come to him. You know what? God's going to do this for the rest of eternity. In Ephesians 2.7, he tells us what he's got planned for us. He says in Ephesians 2.7 that, that he's going to, he says in the coming ages, I'm going to show the immeasurable riches of grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. 1 Peter 1 talks about an inheritance that is immeasurable and undefiled and unfading. So, so here, here's what I'm telling you. God wants to meet your desires, all right? So you've got these desires inside of you. you you've got these, um, these wants, these passions, and God wants to meet them. He's got a river of delights to meet them. He's gonna, he's gonna, you're going to delight yourself in him, and he's going to satisfy the desires of your heart. The Bible says he's the bread of life, and, and whoever comes to him won't hunger or thirst. So God can satisfy your desires. But here's the big question. What if you don't believe that? Because there's a world full of people that don't believe that. So there's a world full of people that are saying, oh, great. You know, I've got this aching desire in me, and you're telling me, here's God. There's a world full of people that are saying, I don't need God. What I need is this. What I need is money. What I need is a husband who treats me nice. What I need is a wife who's kind. What I need is a friend. What I need is, is pleasure. What I need is comfort. What I need is a body that's not broken, right? I don't want God. There's a world full of people that are saying, I don't want God. I want something else. It's always been true. Back in the Old Testament in Jeremiah, listen to this. This is what, what God said to the people in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13. He said, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they have hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. So the picture there is, is of a people who, who walk up to God and he is, a, he is an ever-flowing fountain, you know. He's this fountain of crisp, refreshing water, you know, that will satisfy all their souls. And they walk up to him and they're like, no, I don't want that. 
And then they go, they go over here a quarter mile, and they, and they chip out of the rock for themselves a little indentation, a little, little cistern, and then hope that it rains. And if it rains, it gathers a little water, and then, then they drink out of that. You know, and you know what happens to that after a couple of days, right? The mosquitoes start breeding in it, and the animals, you know, do their thing in it, and and it's just broken cisterns. It dries up. It's unreliable. And, and God says that's that's what my people have done. They don't want me. They want something else. In Isaiah fifty-five, same sort of thing. Isaiah fifty-five verses one through three says, "Come to me, everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters. He who has no money." Come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money, without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? You see, it's the same thing. He's saying, why, why, do, why do you give yourself to things that don't satisfy? Why do you run after things that will never satisfy the desires of your heart? In Romans chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, Paul said the root of sin is exactly that. People don't want God. Claiming to be wise, they become fools and exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. What happens when you don't believe that God is what you need? Well, you turn to other things. Guys, I can't take it any longer. I've done this two services in a row. I got to church this morning. You know, the Bible says, um, it says to, to walk in the light because when you walk in the darkness, you don't see the blemishes on your life, right? Well, the same is true when you get dressed. When you get dressed in the morning, you don't see that you had a big stain, a green stain on your arm. I didn't see that until the, man, it's like 10 minutes before the 830 service. I said, well, I'll just put on a jacket. I can't take it. It's too hot. I thought I was going to pass out. I was like, I can't do it anymore. So you just got to live with the stain. I'm sorry I got dressed in the dark. Uh, I was going to pass out there, though, so I, I couldn't keep that on anymore. What happens when you don't believe that God's what you need? You turn to other things. That's what our world is doing, right? You, you turn to other things. and You turn to other desires. In fact, add to that, we're broken. We're broken. Like Jesus, when he comes to this world, what does he do? Man, he pours out his life for other people, right? He pours it out for other people, and he trusts God to meet his own needs. That's not what we do, is it? No, man, we're, we're grabbers, you know. We're, we're, we got these broken desires. Ephesians 4 calls them deceitful desires. The, the Bible calls it our flesh. Our flesh is our broken, our kind of our unredeemed brokenness. And, and it, it, wants, it wants you to, to, to behave like I want you to. It wants you to do what I want you to, right? That, that's, our, that's our broken humanness. And, and James is saying, when... When we don't get our desires met, you know what happens? We boil on the inside. He says, your passions are at war within you. You fume with anger on the inside, and that flows out to the outside. It flows out in conflict. So what, what does this look like? Let, let's just give some practical examples. So here's what I know. Let's, let's hit some that I think hit everybody can identify with. All right, here's what I know. Everybody wants to be loved. Everybody wants to be loved, right? Absolutely. Everybody wants to be cared for. Everybody wants to be loved. Everybody wants to be paid attention to. And so what, what happens when you have people that, that want to be loved, they have this need in them to be loved? And again, is that a bad need? No, it's not a bad need. 
In fact, what are we meant to do with that? We're meant to go to our Father, right, who loves us with an everlasting, steadfast, eternal love, who proved his love by sending his own son to die on a cross, to be butchered on a cross, that he might bring us into his family and redeem us and save us and, and cause all the bad things in our life to work for good and bring us into an eternal heaven. What happens when a person who really wants to be loved looks at God and says, no, I don't want that. I want that person to love me. Well, sometimes it works okay for a while, right? But eventually what happens? Eventually it's always a disappointment. It doesn't matter who it is. It doesn't matter who you're married to. It doesn't matter who you're in a family with. It doesn't matter who you, whose small group you're in. It doesn't matter what church you're in. If you, if, you, if you say basically, God, I'm not interested in your love, but I, I, I got this deep need for love. I want these people to love me. A lot of times we think marriage is the thing that's going to fix all of that, right? Like now I've got this person that I'm married to and they're going to meet my need for love. But what happens? Oh, it's what always happens, right? Guy goes to work and he comes home. He's feeling a little empty. But he comes home to his wife and he thinks, man, here's the gal that's going to make much of me, right? Here's the gal that's going to be happy to see me and greet me with a kiss and and here's the gal that's going to, you know, just tell me how much she appreciates me and how awesome I am. And she's going to sit there and hang on my every word. And so he comes through the door and that mama, that wife has been with three babies with diarrhea all day, right? And she, she doesn't greet him with a kiss. She hands him a diarrhea baby and says, here, you know, and I don't feel very good. And get your own supper. Go to McDonald's, you know. And then she goes to the bedroom and lays down. What happens? What happens to that guy? What happens when he, that gal's not interested in talking to him. She doesn't care what happened at work. You know, she's been with babies all day long. She's exhausted. What happens there? And he starts to seethe on the inside, doesn't he? He's angry. He's angry. And if he, if he, doesn't, if he doesn't keep that in check, that'll flow over into his marriage. Or just switch it around. What about the gal? Man, maybe she never had a daddy who loved her. Didn't, didn't have that. And so she's got a big hole in her heart about wanting to be loved. And here's God over here saying, I'll meet your every need. I love you with an everlasting love. No, I don't want that. I want, I want some guy to love me. And so she gets married, and, you know, before she gets married, it's, it's, it's heaven, right? Like this guy anticipates her every need, you know? He says, you know, I wore this purple shirt for you because I know you love purple, you know, and I brought you this flower and I was thinking of you and, and then they get married and, and all of a sudden he comes home and he's tired and he's been at work and he just wants Doritos, Lazy Boy and ESPN, you know, he's not interested in talking, he's not interested in paying attention to her, he doesn't appreciate her and what happens, she begins to boil with resentment, right, you see how this works? Right? We have these needs, and when we don't go to God, when we think, when we go to people to meet those needs, what happens? It, it doesn't work out. How about a need for respect? Like, people need respect. People want respect. But some people have a huge need to say, I, I, I want to know that I'm important. I want to know that I'm listened to. I want to know that my opinion matters. And they go to work, and the boss doesn't consult them. And they're the expert in that field, and he asks people lower than them about it. He doesn't even talk to them. Or, and then you tell, them, you tell them how it ought to be, and they don't listen, and it goes wrong. And then they don't even give you credit on that end. And you don't have respect. And people, like you've seen it on the news, people will kill for that. They'll kill because they, they do not feel respected. Or how about security? You know, 
you have this desire to be safe and the desire to be have things stable and have them like you want them and have them, you know, where, where, where you know everything's going to be okay and when it doesn't happen, people get angry. How about ease? How about comfort? You know, why in the world do people shoot other people on freeways? You ever ask yourself that? What is going on with that? Well, they have, they have desires, right? Like, hey, I want to get, you know, three miles that way, and I want to get there at 65 mile an hour, and I'm at a standstill because all of you idiots are in front of me, right? And you won't move, and people keep cutting in. People get so angry, they're ready to kill. Maybe it's you want money. Maybe it's you want sex. Maybe it's who knows. But James says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this? Your passions are at war within you. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. I think James is mainly speaking metaphorically there of murder. Obviously, sometimes it happens. But I tell you what, what uh, my, my, the guy I look up to so much in ministry, John Piper, um, I looked this up, and I'm pretty sure it's true. I think every time John Piper has preached, he was a pastor at Bethlehem for 33 years. Every time he's preached on this passage, he has preached a sermon on abortion. Now, you think, why would, why would he, you know, I, James doesn't say anything about abortion in this passage, does he? he? He doesn't mention the word. I don't know that he even had it in his mind. So why would John Piper talk about abortion from this passage over and over again? Because it's exactly what happens. What, ha- what happens when when, when someone has an abortion, when a, when a lady and, and maybe a couple, maybe a husband and wife, maybe it's a boyfriend and girlfriend, what happens when they have an abortion? Well, if they, ha- they had a need, right? They had a want. Maybe that want was, hey, I want to go to college. Hey, I, I want to get a job. Hey, I want to excel at my job. Hey, I'm, I'm at this level. I talked to somebody the other day, and they, they told me this story. They said, I was at this level in my job, and I just knew with another five years, I could be at this level. I could be at the corporate level. And then here comes a baby. Here comes a baby, and a baby's in the way of that. Like, I, this is my desire, and that baby just got in the way. Or, or maybe, maybe there's a desire just not to spoil the reputation. Maybe there's a desire not to be in trouble by their mom or dad. Or maybe there's a desire that I don't want to be attached to this guy, you know, the rest of my life that I really didn't like anyway. It was a, a one-night stand that I regret. And, but whatever the desire is, the baby's in the way. And what happens? The baby ends up getting murdered. There's murder that happens because of our passions at war within us. Our broken humanness, our broken self that wants the wrong things and doesn't go to God. Now look at, look at what verse 2 says. Let's keep going here. He says, you desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. Okay, now, really important thing there. James is saying, you, you don't have your desires met. You know why? Because you're, you're not asking. You're not going to God. You're, you're not coming to the one who has a river of delight. You're not coming to the one who says, delight yourself in me, and I'll give you the desires of your heart. You're not coming to the one who's the bread of life. You're not coming to him for what you need. You're coming to all these other things. And then he goes even further. And James says, and sometimes you ask, So sometimes you do come to God, but you come wrongly. Do you see that? Look at verse 3. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. All right, I I don't think he's saying you pray wrongly. I, I, I think he's saying you desire the wrong things from God. You, you, sin and, and self has broken even your prayers. So, 
So what, what, what are they asking for? They're, they're asking God to give them something to spend on their desires over here. Okay? And James says that is adultery, that's friendship with the world, and that's enmity to God. Okay, now what, what's he talking about here? What's, what's James talking about? In the next verse, he says, he, in verse 3, he says, You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. And then the next verse, he says, You're adulterous people. You're, friendship, you're friends with the world. That, that means you're an enemy of God. What, what is James talking about? Well, here's the scenario, okay? The scenario is a person has needs, right? Like, I need, I need to be loved. I need this. I need whatever. And so they do go to God. Okay, so this time they're going to God. That's step one. That's, that's okay. But when they go to God, what they do is they ask God to give them this over here. In other words, they don't, they don't want God to meet their needs. They just want God's power to help them with this over here. And James says, that's adultery. My friends, that, that would not work in my marriage. That would not work in any marriage, would it? If a husband comes and, and he comes to his wife and he says, honey, I have a need to be loved. I have a need to... to uh, to be affectionate with, with the woman. I have a need to, uh, to be cared for and have an intimate relationship. So, honey, would you give me a little money so I can go buy a prostitute? Or would, would you give me a little money so I can go buy a gift for this other lady? Do you see why James says, you adulterous people? You're friends with the world? And that's enmity to God? You know, J- James is creating the situation here where, where people come and they pray to God, but they're not asking for God. They're not saying, God, I want more of you. God, I want more, I want more of what you give. They're, they're saying, God, I want, I want this. I, I still don't want you. But if you could help me get this other stuff to fulfill me, that would be great. Now, some of you are going to ask, okay, Pastor, are you saying that it's wrong to want to be loved and respected and cared for by other people? Is it wrong to, to want to, you know, things to go well, to want to have a good harvest, to want to have a good business? No, 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 that's, that stuff's not wrong. As long as it's in the context of God, you're the one that meets all my needs, okay? So, so in the context of God, I want you, and I'm trusting you, and I'm looking to you, and, and God, I, I want to live flourishing. Then it's okay. God, God at times gives these other things. But the thing that James is talking about is when we come to God and we're clear, God, I'm not interested in having more of you. I just want you to help me with this over here. My friends, that's common. I can't tell you how many people have come to me and they're they're like, I really don't don't want more God. I don't want to be in a discipleship group. I don't want to be in a small group. I don't want to read my Bible. I don't don't want to know what God says about heaven. I, I just want this problem fixed. Can he help me with that? That's That's adultery. That's friendship with the world. 1 John 2.15 says the world is, is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. In other words, the, when the Bible talks about the world, it talks, it talks about a, a way of a, a value system of valuing everything else above God. Valuing every other relationship above a relationship with God. Valuing what everybody else can give, what the world can give above God. James says you're acting like that. You're, you're acting like, like I'm not the important thing. God, God's not the important thing, but that everything else is more important than him. And he says that's spiritual adultery. You know, there's a lot of different ways that the Bible describes our relationship with God. Sometimes it says he's our father, right? And we're adopted into his family. Sometimes it says that, um, that we're the body of Christ and Christ is our head and we're the body. But, but at times it, it says we are his bride. Now, if you'll look through your Old Testament particularly and, and see the times where it talks about us as the bride of Christ, 
most likely it revolves around idolatry. That's, that's when God uses that. Like many of you are familiar with the book of Hosea. The whole book of Hosea is about, uh, it's about this visual demonstration of God saying, this is, this is what it's like for me with my people. They continually commit spiritual adultery on me. They continually go to idols instead of being faithful to me. And I believe that James uses the word adultery here, you adulterous people, because he's, he's tapping into that reality that marriage is unique, okay? There's, there's, there's something, there's several things that are very unique about marriage. And one of those things is it's an exclusive relationship, okay? So it's a relationship in which there is a righteous jealousy. Jealousy most of the time is bad. But in marriage, there is such a thing as a righteous jealousy. Let me give you an example. It is perfectly right for me to say, Emma, I don't want you to have any other husbands, okay? That is right. That's good. It, it, it's good for me to say, honey, it, it burned me up on the inside for you to have another husband, okay? You know what would be wrong? What would be wrong for me to say, hey, hon, if you want to get some other husbands, that's fine. I don't really care. You know, it's all good with me. Okay, there's something broke about that, right? And so do you, know, do you notice in this next verse, verse 5, it got, and it's a hard verse to translate. Your Bible may translate it differently. It's, it's really a difficult verse to translate in the Scriptures. But in the context of you adulterous people, I think it makes sense. Do you suppose it is to no purpose that the Scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit he has made to dwell in us? In other words, God is a jealous husband. God, God is a jealous husband who, who wants the affection and devotion of his wife. Who, who's his wife? The church. We are. What's he saying? He's saying, I want, I want to take care of you. I, I want you to come to me. I want to give you what you need. That's what God is saying as a husband to his people. All right, I, I want you just to think through. I want you to think through your own anger. So let's go back to our original question. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? I, I just wonder if you'll just give a moment here just to think about what do you get mad about? You know, most of the time we tend to get mad about the same sorts of stuff, you know. I mean, we kind of have a track, you know, that we go in. So what, what is it that makes you angry? What is it that causes conflicts with, with your children or with, with your spouse or with your friends? What, what is that? And, and then here's, here's a really good thing to do, according to James, is to get to the root of that. So what, what is it that you're desiring that's not being met that brings about this kind of conflict? What, what is that? And then just start going through and, and just asking the diagnostic, di- diagnostic questions. Okay, am I going to God for that thing? Like, like, am I leaving him out of that? So whatever it is that I, I keep getting angry about, am, am I pulling God into that? Am, am I seeing how God might be able to meet that need? How God might be able to take care of me in that way? How, how maybe my disappointment would be much less with these people if I were trusting God for this thing. You know, what, what, what is it? What is it that causes quarrels and causes conflicts among you? And then just realize that God wants to satisfy your soul. Man, he's got a river of delights. You can get out there and kayak. You can motorboat. You can, you can ski. You can, you can spend your life drinking in the river of God's delights. That's how big he is. And that's how much he wants to take care of you. And that's how much he loves you. Let's pray together. Father, I just thank you for... Being so good to us, God, thank you for being willing to satisfy our soul in so many ways. God, thank you for for sending your son.
to die on the cross to prove to us of how much you love us and all that you've done for us. And Father, we want to come to you. We want to come to you for all that we need. And so, Father, I, I pray that you would, you would open our eyes to what it means to, to be satisfied in you. And God, if, there are, if there's anger in our hearts, God, if there's conflict among brothers, God, help us to trace that back to see what, what, what's going on in us and, and how, can, how can we come to you to meet that need. Father, we just ask these things in Christ's name.